This is Shaping the Future by Regent Street, brought to you directly from the iconic London Street itself and launched to celebrate its 200th anniversary year. Our modern world and everyday experiences are constantly being formed and informed by cultural influences around us. From traditions of old to the incoming tides of technology and emerging trends in fashion, art, food and well-being, this podcast celebrates how Regent Street is leading the way with these cultural forces and their impact on places now and in the future. I'm Elizabeth Day, journalist, podcaster and cultural magpie, and I'll be interviewing leaders making pioneering contributions to the world around us. Hello and welcome back to Shaping the Future by Regent Street. I'm your host, Elizabeth Day, and today we're talking all things beauty and the future of beauty, because Regent Street is home to a number of world-class shopping experiences in beauty, offering innovative products, luxurious treatments, expert advice, and insightful events in state-of-the-art stores that are guaranteed to inspire. One of those stores is Globar, and we are delighted today to welcome Sasha Sabapathy, who is a brand planner turned chef who spent her life between Malaysia, London and New York. Sasha created Globar out of a desire to share with other women stress management remedies that she has discovered over the years. Can't wait to talk to you about all of that. Um, And we're also delighted to welcome Fumi Feto. So Fumi is a fantastic beauty journalist, contributing editor at Vogue, observer columnist, and as if that weren't enough, executive editor and beauty director at Glamour magazine. Fumi, welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you. So I'd like to get started really with you, Sasha, because Globar, explain what Globar is for people who don't know it. So Globar is essentially a 360 wellbeing space um, on Mortimer Street. And so we've got sort of a, a retail experience that you can have. And we've also got a product range. And um, within the retail experience, we have infrared saunas, which is something that I discovered in LA when I was living in the States. And it's basically a dry heat sauna where the infrared rays penetrate your body simultaneously to heating up the room around you. And you sit in it for 45 minutes and you sweat a lot. And it has a multitude of benefits. Um, my favorite ones are that they ha- it helps to boost endorphins in the brain. So it really helps helps with stress management um, and also it's just a really really deep sweat so you literally sweat out pollution from your pores so it's just really good in terms of cleansing and you sleep really well at night as well so that's something that I prefer to do towards the end of the week when I don't want to have a really hard workout I'll do an infrared sauna session and then I'll go and get a really have a nice bath and go to sleep after so we have that in our basement area and then upstairs we've got a cafe in a retail space so within our cafe we really celebrate healing herbs from different traditions from Ayurveda to traditional Chinese medicine and shamanic healing and they're kind of a family of herbs called adaptogens and they help the body cope with stress in different ways so the whole idea is all of these sort of plant-based foods that help you kind of glow from the inside out and manage your stress levels Um, and we sell the herbs within our retail space and other just general well-being items that help you sort of find your zen at home I love Global and I've done infrared saunas and I totally agree with you I absolutely adore them I did them in LA and then I prefer them to normal saunas actually and the one in LA you can watch Netflix oh my god Shape House (laughs) yes that's what I started doing as well it's amazing for your skin as well. I always really notice that. After yeah, you can literally glow from the inside out. It's amazing. 
For me, in the time that you've been a beauty journalist, and what a beauty journalist you are, I mean, how many qualifications and roles you have, it's so impressive. But in the time that you've been doing what you've been doing, have you noticed this kind of shift from beauty being something that traditionally would have been perceived as quite superficial, and I put that in quotation marks, to something that's much more about the whole self? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, the wellness section of beauty is so humongous now. And, um, you know, a lot of people realise that a lipstick isn't just a lipstick. It's about how it makes you feel when you put it on, whether you feel more confident or more powerful or just less fearful of going into a certain situation. I think that there's a lot of sort of psychological benefits to beauty on so many different levels. And I think wellness is definitely a huge part of that. People as suffering from, you know, high stress levels, lots of mental health issues and so on. So I think people are realising that you have to integrate things that can help your mental health and your well-being in absolutely everything that you do. So, yeah, I mean, I've seen there's been a huge shift to that. Absolutely. Wellness is huge. And one of the things that I know that you're very passionate about is about making beauty more inclusive. Because again, if we go back 15 years, Mm. it felt like we were only seeing certain types of faces on magazines. So tell us a bit about that. Oh, yes. I mean, goodness me. I mean, when I started in beauty, well, I didn't actually start in beauty when I um, started in magazines. I started on fashion and I would sort of go over to the beauty desk and sort of have a play with certain things and nothing ever suited my skin tone. There was nothing at all. And, you know, I'm not talking about 1969. I mean, <laughs> this wasn't that long ago. Um, there was just nothing on the market. Um, I would never be able to find anything for my hair. I mean, hair care is still an issue even now. But even in terms of pigments and, and blusher or a foundation or whatever, you know, they would never work on darker skin tones. And now I, I'm amazed at how much the industry has moved. Anyone who says to me, I can't find my foundation, I think, well, let me show you all of these wonderful brands out there because they're out there. There are tons and tons of brands who are, you know, making foundations that suit every skin tone. But beyond that, it's about representation. You know, we are seeing more um, people of colour on runways. We are seeing people of colour being represented in magazines and so on, in campaigns, on social media. We're seeing so many different voices who are exerting a certain level of authority and influence within that market. And I think that has completely changed. It was so white before it really really was you know even in terms of people who work in the industry it was very rare to find another black face and I always remember going to the shows and I would spot a black face somewhere in the crowd and we would give each other that sort of knowing look and this sort of smile and that look said everything we were like welcome well done for being here a black face in a white space. So, you know, and, and that's changed quite a lot. I think we still have ways to go, but it is changing and um, the conversations are being had. And I think that's great. So you were, until very recently, a columnist at Vogue, and it feels as if Vogue was at the forefront of that. Oh, yes. I mean, goodness me, Edward Enninfall has been so incredible in terms of opening up this whole conversation about inclusivity. I think he has done such an incredible job. And I think he's given a lot of people of colour a certain fearlessness to be able to talk quite openly about the importance of representation, the importance of being inclusive and celebrating different ideas of beauty and what beauty looks like. And, and, and you, you know, just 
different people. And he, he's done that so incredibly well because I keep saying to people, you know, that diversity and inclusion is not just about, oh, let's have a black model on the cover or let's have a black person there or a person of colour there. It's not so much that. It's making sure that your work place represents what we see in the world you know we look around this table so we all we're all different creeds and races and and so on and I just think that magazines should represent that I think there's a responsibility there to represent it and I think he's done that wonderfully I think he's really he's really opened up that conversation absolutely. Sasha tell me about your background because the chef thing is completely fascinating but I know that it ties into what you're you're now doing. Exactly. So, I mean, I was working in advertising in New York beforehand. Um, and it's funny, we're talking about diversity. That was it, Moving from New York to London was such a culture shock for me because I find New York extremely diverse and my office was very diverse. And I moved back to London and I, was get, I wanted to get into the food industry and it was so, so white. It was unbelievable. I felt very different. Even though I sounded the same as everyone else, I just felt like another. Um, And I went to culinary school. I was trying to get into the healthy food industry in London. I really loved food. I wanted to do something in it. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went to culinary school and I was going to loads of food events in London, like Rude Health. There's a porridge competition every year and I was trying to sort of integrate. A porridge competition. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to stuff like this, trying to integrate myself into that industry. um, And I was at culinary school at the same time. I didn't really know what my future held, but realizing that when I'd, while I'd been in New York, I had learned all of these different stress management tools because when I'd moved when I was 22 and I tried to do so many things at the same time. I was going to classes in the evening. I was at grad school at NYU. I was interning in fashion, actually, funny enough, at YSL, the only non-Caucasian person in the entire building. Mm. Um, but it was very Devil Wears Prada-esque. I was running. It was when um, Hedy took over and mm. they had those massive hats. I don't know if anyone remembers. Like It was like the really like witch collection. So they were these massive garment boxes full of hats <laughs> and huge sequined coats. And I was running all over New York like a crazy person, like trying to look amazing because I was like, I've got a job in fashion. But, you know, fashion is not wearing heels. I realised like after my second week. Um, so I was doing that and I was at classes and I was trying to date and go out and, you know, go to all the different bars and restaurants that one can go to. And my body just experienced a lot of stress basically in that time. And so I had to adopt lots of sort of natural healing methods to, to combat that. And how did that stress manifest itself in your body? Anxiety. So I basically crashed one day. I got really bad anxiety and really bad depression. And I didn't really know what was wrong because I ha- there was nothing that had happened in my life that would cause me to be sad. I was just basically pushing my body so hard in so many different ways. So I started learning about different natural remedies because I didn't want to go down a more, you know, pharmaceutical route. Um, I'd been advised to take antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications and I really didn't want to go down that route. Like I don't even take paracetamol when I have a headache. So I was like, oh God, you know, like having to constantly pop pills every day just to sort of feel better doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem to be causing whatever the problem is. So I got into natural remedies and into adaptogenic herbs and I started exercising more to release endorphins in my brain and eating a more balanced diet so that I, you know, I read that your gut controls um, your skin, but also your mental health mm. so I started to eat more gut friendly food and I limited gluten and dairy in my diet just to and it wasn't really even about weight it was just about saying okay like I feel bloated and sluggish and maybe that's affecting how I'm feeling mentally so if I cut out these things like what how is that going to result in you know is it going to make me feel happier and better and so all of these things basically over time worked um, and I went about leading my life and it just became my normal and then I, when I moved back here I was like yeah yeah I'm going to be a chef it's all great maybe I'll open a cafe you know 
not, not selling porridge, but other things. Um, <laughs> and all my friends were like, oh, but we're so stressed. Like, tell us all of your tips and tricks for like de-stressing. Like, what sort of foods do you eat to, you know, that help with your gut health? What sort of, her- what are the herbs that you're taking? All of these things. And I realized that I had like this wealth of knowledge just because I'd experienced this massive burnout when I was 22. And then I was all of a sudden 28 living in London and no one knew about these things. So I kind of pivoted. I kind of decided to start a, a business while I was at culinary school that had nothing to do really with becoming a chef, which was what I had, was training to do. I was on a nine-month program. It was extremely vigorous, where we sort of celebrated these ancient healing practices to de-stress. And that's kind of how it all started. That's so, so interesting. And, and for me, have you noticed a trend for beauty products to be very much inside out? So about the, the things that you might take in terms of supplements or, I don't know, using CBD oil in a cream. Have you Has that become much more of a thing? Yes, absolutely. I mean, Everyone I know, is, apart from myself, takes supplements. I'm terrible with taking tablets. I absolutely can't bear them. And collagen shots and, and so on and so forth. And people are, I mean, people are, are getting a lot more sort of intelligent about how their body works. And, you know, what you were saying about, you know, how the gut works and how that affects so much of your body, so much of your mindset, your skin and so on. People are, are so much more savvy about that. So absolutely supplements have become huge you know having sort of treatments that aren't necessarily very medical that's also become huge but I do think that there still needs to be an education piece around that because you know things like CBD oil for instance every single brand seems to be incorporating that into their products but a lot of people still don't know what the benefits are how they work the stats behind them and so on and so forth so so that's that's where it becomes slightly problematic I think there are certain things that are a trend and then there there needs to be that education piece to you know enable people to know so much more about it rather than just jumping on the bandwagon but the industry is certainly moving down that direction at the moment there is even a category for the at the very beauty awards for the sort of more like niche wellness beauty yes. all the other brands at the Vogue Beauty Awards were like it was like Fenty was there because they won the Inclusiveness Diversity Award you know Estee Lauder won an award Charlotte Tilbury won an award so there were these massive brands that were traditional beauty you know you go into the Selfridges or Harrods Beauty Hall and you see all of these brands with their massive um, like you know counters, counters exactly mm. so it was a lot of us smaller brands but mm. it was really beautiful to be included in something that had been so mass and mainstream yes. and then all of a sudden it was like and wellness yeah. yeah well it's huge now you know wellness is so huge and I think also niche brands are huge and niche brands and wellness at the moment are currently driving the industry in many ways so I think even though we have the bigger brands who aren't necessarily tapping into wellness or and they're not niche because they're so established but there are elements of those categories that a lot of them have begun to take on board Do you think that's because the consumer has become more savvy about things like authenticity and sustainability? So they're sort of seeking out the slightly smaller brands. Absolutely. I think social media has been one of those things, you know, it's been a platform that's given everybody a voice. So everyone is an authority, whether rightly or wrongly, but everyone is now an authority. And, you know, they have a say and they, they're driving the conversation within the beauty industry. You know, you have brands like Glossier, for instance, who have been at the forefront of that sort of thing where they have asked their, you know, followers, 
What would you like to see in a cleanser? What do you think we should call it? What do you think the texture should be? And based on all of those responses, they have created something that the consumer wants. The consumer is driving everything. And whereas in the past, we would have big brands sort of saying, this is what you should be doing and this is what you should be wearing on your skin. And these are the things that these are the ingredients that you should be, you know, having in all your skincare and so on and so forth. And now it's more about, okay, what does the consumer want? And they are driving that so much more. So which is why, you know, there are a lot of brands now that won't necessarily launch and think, I'm going to go into a retail space. They might say, actually, we just want to connect directly with our consumers so they will just sell from their own platform because they want to be closer to consumer and they want to hear what the consumer is saying in order for that to influence what they produce. That's really interesting and I want to come back to that Mm. but just as a sidebar I wonder if I could ask you Sasha because Glowbar is beautiful. (laughs) It's a really beautiful physical space and Fumi mentioned Instagram there and I wonder how aware you were of people photographing global and like creating an Instagrammable moment and the influence of influencers? Oh, um, definitely. So I worked in advertising beforehand, so I was definitely aware of the, the power of the influencer before we opened the space. I was really adamant in making a space that was incredibly beautiful, that was going to be Insta-worthy, and I say that in quotation marks as well, <laughs> um, but not to an extreme so I think there are a lot of places that will do something just for the insta effect Mm. so they'll do like an entire flower wall Mm. or you know massive neon signs Mm. everywhere Um, you know something that's essentially a step and repeat for you Mm. to stand in front of and take Mm. photos and I didn't want a space that was like that because that's not who I am as a person Mm. and that's not the product that I wanted to sell because we sell real products that have been used for like there are ancient products that have been used over centuries all over the world to help people cope with stress and that is a very serious thing that we're selling so I felt that having a space that was too Instagrammable Mm. would really belittle the experience that we're trying to have get people to have and also keeping it as natural as possible so it's a lot of pink but if you go and you'll realize the pink is is all muted it's all like pastel pink we have a massive like terrazzo countertop so that's a natural like earthy pink that we've used we have a lot of like all the green that we have in the space comes from actual plants that we've got everywhere so everything has quite an organic feel to it so it's it's very nicely balanced and then we do have a lot of influencers coming in for a combination of reasons like yes they genuinely love the space but they also just love the experience but can i ask then about regent street specifically because was it important for you to be in a physical location that had a sense of history or gravitas that was a a declaration of your intent and that was also central like how important was regent street to you oh so important i mean finding a retail space in general is really really hard you you can ask most people it's a struggle it can take up to two years to find the right space and it took me almost a year really to find a space and i knew i wanted to be in regent street and i wanted to be in the fitzrovia end of regent street and you know, having being somewhere so central was so key to me because I didn't want to alienate anyone. And for me, it was really important to make our experience incredibly mainstream um, and luxury, luxurious at the same time because I wanted people to say it's important to invest. £40 in an infrared sauna. Like, that's a worth a worthy investment. So I want to go to a really nice place in a really nice neighbourhood to have this experience. Whilst also saying, like, um, I'm going to buy a crystal and I'm not going to feel uncomfortable going into this shop or this part of London to buy a crystal because I don't feel like I'm the type of person who's mm-hmm. traditionally bought crystals. For us, it's really about being welcoming. 
So there are all those factors that played into making the decision. And for me, Regent Street was just like the ultimate destination for, for that because it just ticked all of the boxes. And I knew, also knew that I was going to be right down the road from Estee Lauder, right round down the road from the Arcadia groups. So I had like this plethora of women who were going to be in my surrounding area that I knew would also just love what I was creating. And it's also home to iconic brands like Space NK and mm. L'Occitane. And for exactly. me, what beauty brands do you think are doing particularly exciting things at the moment? So I think Liberty is fantastic. I mean, I, I Liberty is sort of quite close to my heart, actually, because when I was a student, I used to work there part time. What so did you I, do? I worked for the Mulberry Concession in there. And it's so bizarre, you know, I feel that you only really appreciate things as you get older, because I was just a grumpy student who just thought, oh, I don't want to work on Saturdays, but I want the money, but I don't want to work on Saturdays. <laughs> but, you know, I go into Liberty now, and I was in there actually just, I think just yesterday, and um, it's just it's just absolutely beautiful. I think even though, you know, we're in a, an era at the moment where there's a lot of fast sort of consumption, but it's so beautifully created, whether that's the interiors or whether that's the fashion or the beauty. And I think the beauty space particularly is brilliant. I think the fragrance offering there, I think it's second to none. It's pretty special. So I, I love what Liberty are doing. I think the curation is very, very clever. It's very considered. I think Space and K is incredible. I think the the skincare brands particularly that they bring and, you know, they meld them with really sort of old school established brands and then they bring in sort of new brands. So they'll have something like Creme de la Mer, but then they'll have um, Drunk Elephant and, you know, just mix in those. It's the kind of high-low in many ways, all the sort of, you know, the old school and the new school, you know, and mixing those together. And I think that's that's fantastic. And I think they're always thinking of, you know, what next? What can we do next? What are the new brands that our consumers might be really interested in? So I, I do love what they're doing. I love their mix of um, beauty brands. I think that's great. And I think also going back to Liberty, I think I know that everyone talks about digital and I love digital as well. But I think that somewhere like Liberty proves why bricks and mortar still have a place when I go into Liberty, I don't hurry to leave. And I think that's the key to the success of Bricks and Mortar. If you create a space that people want to be in, people won't, won't leave. People want the experience. Yes, they still. want the experience. And I think you know, there's no way that you can get that digitally. You just can't. It's just, it's just impossible to get it. So it's how do, we, how do we evolve with the times and make it worthwhile for people to actually shop in our stores? Talking of digital, mm. the rise of the YouTube makeup artist. Yes. How much of a challenge did that pose, do you think, to traditional print media like magazines? I think it has been challenging. I think I'd be um I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. I think it has been challenging in many ways, in the sense that a lot of people started to look to, you know, YouTubers as their source of authority. And um you know, and I, I think that's probably quite difficult when you have, you know, people who have been doing, I put that in um, inverted commas, doing beauty for, you know, a long, long time. And then suddenly there's a 14 year old who's creating looks in their bedroom and all of a sudden they've got two million followers or whatever. But I think rather than seeing them as two separate entities, the clever brands in terms of print brands have evolved and you know, amalgamated that sort of mindset into the way they produce content. And I think that's that's the clever thing. Rather than keeping it separate, 
you know, print and digital and videos and whatever. They've a lot of print brands now have just, you know, pulled everything together and it's one brand. It's not separated into all those different entities. So I think that's the that's the way to sort of um, deal with that. But yes, I think it has change but I don't think it's necessarily a negative thing I think it's given a lot of people a voice which I think is wonderful it's given a lot of people inroads into an industry that may have been close to them you know years ago if you wanted to get into the beauty industry whether you wanted to be a beauty journalist or whether you wanted to be a makeup artist, there was a certain route. There were maybe one or two routes that you could take in order to be successful in that. And now people have been able to carve out their own success, carve out their own routes. And I think that that's really quite incredible that people are able to do that. I don't think it's a negative thing. I think it's a great thing, actually. Interesting. And talking about technology and sort of just technical things, Sasha. This is my seamless link into asking you what an adaptogen is. <laughs> I love that link. Um, so an adaptogen is a healing herb, basically, and adaptogens can come from loads of different healing practices from Ayurveda to traditional Chinese medicine. And they're basically just herbs that help the body adapt to stress in different ways, hence the word adaptogen. Um, and so there are some herbs, for example, like ashwagandha, which is our most popular herb that we sell, and it's the one that I initially started taking um, when I was living in New York, that sort of helps to reset and stabilise your cortisol levels, which is your stress management hormone. And a little bit of cortisol is good for us, but a lot of it is really bad for us and can cause us to get burnout and cortisol fatigue and can cause anxiety and depression. And so that kind of helps just to stabilise it because we're under so much stress these days, you know, from longer commutes to the comparison game on Instagram or dating on multiple apps or you know just the fact that it's harder to get childcare or whatever like just modern day living is incredibly stressful that where I always sort of describe it as when we developed the you know sort of stress management techniques within our brain the flight and fight reaction when we were cavemen the only stress we had were was dinosaurs we had dinosaurs chasing us and so you know dinosaur would chase us we'd find a cave to hide in and then we would relax again but now we have dinosaurs everywhere the dinosaurs are our phone or the tube or nanny who's cancelled etc um so ashwagandha just really helps with that there are other herbs for example like cordycep which helps with inflammation so when our bodies are flooded with cortisol we get highly inflamed so it can be for anything for example if you're just a highly stressed person it can just help to reduce inflammation so you don't get sick but also cortisol is something that's produced when you work out so say you go to the gym quite often every time you go to the gym your body's flooded with cortisol which creates inflammation the more inflamed your body is the harder it is for you to recover so things like cordyceps help to bring that down and so you can recover faster from a workout so people are just getting more and more interested in how they can manage stress with things that they can just eat as well so um you know the whole idea of taking pills i also just hate taking mm pills and taking capsules and a lot of people feel that way they don't like taking medicine and whenever you see a capsule even if it is a natural remedy you also, your brain automatically thinks like that is medicine that's medicinal and so we never really use the word medicinal when we talk about adaptogens we always talk about healing herbs that are really calming on your body and on your mind and it's all about being very relaxed and so we sell powders and you can just like put them in your porridge or put them in your drink your matcha or your coffee or whatever um so yeah they're just really lovely and so do you actually get people coming in saying 
this is my condition. Like, I'm extremely stressed and I'm struggling to sleep. What would you recommend? Yeah, definitely all the time. So I always have to remind people that I'm not a doctor and I'm not a, a licensed naturopath um, or anything. I'm just an enthusiast. So all of our products are things that have been taken for centuries by shamanic healers all over the world. So they're nothing new. I haven't invented a new thing without any proper training. Everything is like, you know, everything's manufactured in pharmaceutical grade facilities within the UK. For people who just come in and they just say gosh, like my life's so manic, like I'm just so stressed. I feel like I'm getting a bit of anxiety from all of my stress. And obviously these are things that I can talk about because it's more lifestyle oriented. Mm. Um, and I can always say, you know, try ashwagandha, try meditation, try this and this and this, all of these different things. Um, same with energy. Like a lot of people, they just feel really depleted because their bodies are so full of cortisol they're so tired and going and doing a million things at the same time that as a result you just you know you have no you have no energy and then you have no energy which means you then end up not being able to sleep because you're so tired you can't sleep do you ever mm-hmm. feel that way and then you have no sleep and then the next day it's like you're tired because you've, your body's flooded with cortisol you're tired because you haven't slept and all of these things um so then there are certain hubs like maca um that we and shilajit that we recommend for people who are going through that but anything more serious than that, I try to, you know, say, check with your doctor first, always. I was still laughing about the realisation that the capsule would dissolve in my throat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is why I needed Sasha. Not necessarily. <laughs> it's in plastic. Anyway, um, so we've spoken about herbs that have had a history of thousands of years. But Fumi, what about cutting edge technology and beauty? What, what are some of the things that we might expect in the future? Goodness me, I think a lot of people are using a lot of gadgets. Um a lot of LED light is incorporated in so many treatments, you know, facials and so on and so forth. There are a lot of at-home gadgets as well that you can buy. I'm still on the fence with a lot of them because I don't think they all I don't think they all work. Mm. <laughs> That's quite hard to use as well. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of them are really complicated. I think a lot of them don't necessarily have the stats to back them up. I'm big on that. I think that you need to have the stats to back up what you're um what you're telling people will be the results of buying this tool that might actually be if you know to 300 pounds it's a lot of money for people so and there is a lot of that but what's really what I find really exciting actually is the tech within formulations I think that's really interesting to me and a lot of there are a lot of new formulations that are coming out that are just just keep on pushing the boundaries of skincare of beauty you know things that sort of adapt even even in terms of makeup you know you would have certain sort of foundations or certain sort of tinted moisturizers that adapt to your skin and adapt to the changes of your skin and so on and so forth that I find really interesting also reformulations is a really interesting one so back in the day you know if a product that has been long loved suddenly comes out with a reformulation you know that's usually seen as a really negative thing it's seen as you know, the reason why you reformulated it was because it was so terrible before. And usually, you know, a lot of people complain about the fact that they've missed the old one and so on. Now, when things are reformulated, it's not because the other one was was bad as such, but it's because they're applying new, newly found out sort of technologies so that they can increase the efficacy of the product. And so many brands are doing that now. So you'll have something that's been around for, even sometimes it's been around for two years or three years, and then they reformulate it. It's because they're constantly trying to keep up with technology. And I think that there is a lot of things that, you know, I, I know that tweakments are a huge 
you know, they're huge business now. Everyone's having Botox, you know, whether it's the 22-year-old, whether it's the 55-year-old, everyone's having Botox. They're all having fillers and so on. But I actually believe that the formulations within a lot of the skincare that we have now means that you don't necessarily need to have that in order for your skin to look incredible. You just need to find the right things. Oh, God, that's great news. Yes, no, I, I totally believe that. Um, you both have amazing skin. Sorry to be oh. so superficial, but, but what, what do you both recommend? Can I start with you, Fumi? What do you use? Oh, goodness me. So I always recommend a liquid exfoliator. I just think that they're me the too. best. You know, it's amazing. It will change your skin. It will absolutely change your skin. There's one, I think Ren is available in Space NK and in Liberty. They do the glow facial lotion or something which is an exfoliator which is incredible it's amazing but there there are tons on the market you know Sunday Riley good jeans is you know is incredible so I think a liquid exfoliator is really 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 important is that like a facial wash or is it separate no it's it's yeah you so it's post wash so you wash your face and then you splash on this you know liquid exfoliator almost like a cologne I mean you're supposed to sort of use a, a cotton pad to put it on but I think why waste it so I just splash it on and I find that much more effective and basically what it does you know it's all these the acids whether it's glycolic or lactic acid it eats away all the dead skin on your on your on your face um, and it makes your skin glow and it just gives you it just gives you a good sort of platform with which you can then layer on your serums and your moisturizers and all of that I'm also loving a lot of um, Japanese beauty rituals I mean you don't have to have a 14 step ritual in order for your skin to look great but I do find that if you layer on quite a few things on your skin, but they have to be quite thin, I do find that the impact is greater. So I, you know, I, I don't really believe in a sort of three step, sorry to anyone who's really minimalist, but, you know, the sort of cleanse tone and the moisturise. I mean, that for me is just like, no, that's that's not enough. So I, I believe in layering lots of different products but they have to be quite thin products and I always liken it to winter wear I find that you are much warmer in winter when you layer on lots of thin layers rather than wearing a huge jumper I I barely own any jumpers because I find in winter I just layer on and that's how I feel much um, much warmer and I liken that I think that's the same process that you have to apply to your skincare in order to have the best results what a great metaphor yeah um <laughs> And what about you, Sasha? You, you yelped in recognition with the liquid exfoliator. <laughs> I think I still need to do more steps. I think I don't have yeah, enough no, steps. Your skin is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do use a liquid exfoliator as well. I use the Junk Elephant one. Um, oh, yes. The, the TLC framboise. Yes. It's amazing. It's amazing. I think it's the best product I've ever invested in. It's really expensive and worth every penny because it lasts forever. Literally writing this yeah. down. <laughs> so good. Um, and it's it's amazing. It just evens out your skin tone, but also helps to bring down any spots that you're yes, getting. Yeah. But so I tend to wash my face with an oil cleanser. I test loads of products generally anyway, because people are always sending stuff that they want stocked in the shop. So I tend to just use whatever oil cleanser is being tested. And I used to use, you know, face wipes because since I started to go more natural, I find now they irritate my skin. And then I use um the framboise in the evening. They also have a really good one called um, Baby Facial. Yes, it's only but it's, a, it's only, only available yeah. in the States, yes, because <laughs> yeah. it hasn't passed the EU regulation. Actually, a friend of mine in LA, she has a 
K-Beauty CBD brand. So it's called Kana, K-A-N-A. So she's got an amazing CBD hemp face oil that I use every day. And I actually don't use moisturizer at all. I only use face oil. A lot of people always say, oh, but it makes my face really greasy. Mm. It makes my makeup slick off. But that just means you're using too much. Because if you use a really good quality face oil and one that's actually made with pure ingredients and ones that's supposed to also be on your face, because a lot of face oils, the base oil is not actually something you should Mm -hmm. be using on your Mm -hmm. face, maybe on your body, but not Mm -hmm. your face, then it absorbs absorbs quite well naturally and after you know you should always put your base your you know your moisturizer and stuff on for a little bit before you put your makeup on anyway Mm. let it absorb and I'll do my hair and stuff like that um I think it's three steps actually my my routine if it works it's fine (laughs) but like three steps made up of lots of mini steps maybe maybe yes exactly yes because you do have more than three steps you've got your liquid exfoliator yeah you've got a moisturizer you've got a cleanser yeah and then what else and my SPF. oil, the oil, SPF. Oil. SPF. Although I'm really bad at like getting in by replenishing it, so that's okay. really bad. SPF I and wear every single day. Me too. We yeah. all should. I get really bad hyperpigmentation, so mm. it's really important. And I use eye cream. Yeah, so I use the Glossier one. It's very good. Bubble uh, wrap. I could literally talk about this for about eight hours. But <laughs> Sustainability yes. in fashion. Uh, it's it's such a frequently used buzzword. But what does it mean to you for me? Like, how important is it? It's everything now. I think. Um, I mean, it's everything to the degree that any beauty brand who does not make, you know, take steps in order to be sustainable will just not survive. I think that's where we are at at the moment. Um, I think in terms of packaging, in terms of your ingredients, people now are looking for brands that align with their values and their morals. And everybody has started to think about sustainability in everything they do, what they wear, what they eat, where they go, how they, you know, utilise their time, you know, what they support, people they support and the beauty brands that they use, you know, it's it's no different to everything else that they, they consider. So I think all the brands are going to have to step up in that area. There's still quite a lot of brands who were doing great work within that space. I think Ren is one of those who've always been championing that. I think the problem that has always been is that a lot of brands that are sort of sustainable and natural organic you know all of that sort of thing and I think that the there's always been a disconnect between being that and also being efficacious Mm. that's all that's always been a problem but I think that gap has really closed in and people have shown that actually it is possible for you to be sustainable and also have a quite techie driven brand that actually works but I think I think that we still have so much more to do in that space there's so many brands who you know the ingredients cannot be traced back to a sustainable source you know packaging we still have so much plastic so so much even in terms of not just the packaging of the actual product but as a beauty journalist goodness me sometimes I receive certain things and it makes my stomach churn because you send me a tiny eyeshadow palette for instance and it's in a massive box that I could put my child in you know I'm just like why this doesn't even make any sense you know so things like that I think people are starting to think a little bit more about those sort of things I I just think that we need to be much more conscious and my only thing with it is that at the moment I do think that in order for people to be really sustainable it's still quite elitist in the sense of pricing 
I do think that there's quite a lot of brands that are super sustainable, but I think they're out of a lot of people's you know, price brackets. And I think we're going to have to address that at some point. But there are brands who are addressing that. Um, waterless beauty is becoming a thing. Every brand is having to consider it and they have to. Otherwise, they will not be around in the future. It's just the way things are. Yeah. Because that's how informed the consumer is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're driving those sort of things. They're driving those conversations. If I put up an article that I've written about, you know, it could be the best foundations or whatever. I'll always have someone say, oh, is it vegan? Is it eco-conscious? What about the packaging? Those are the questions that I get. You know, yes, people want to know that, oh, I can find my shade, but they also want to know whether it has all of those conscious credentials. So all of that is becoming huge. You know, the clean beauty movement, even though that sort of term and the not toxic term, it's all open to interpretation. And there's lots of sort of arguments, you know, wangling over what this means, what that doesn't mean, and so on and so forth. But people are interested. It's the biggest, I think the two biggest conversations within um, beauty is sustainability and diversity. That you, And that's it. And if you don't tap into those as brands, you're done for. And how aware are you of that, Sasha, at, at Global? I'm incredibly aware. And sustainability is one of those things where it's so important to the consumer, but it's and it's so important to all brands, but it's so painful um, from a small brand perspective mm. because just in terms of the, our manufacturers and packaging manufacturers and recycling facilities and everything make it so incredibly hard for small businesses to be sustainable. Mm. And that's one of the things that I basically spend a lot of my time stressing out about because... For example, you know, compostable plastic cups are amazing, but you, your minimum order quantities are super, super high, mm. which means that you sometimes have to pay for storage facilities, mm. which means that you're going to be charging a tiny bit extra. Mm. Again, you, mm. you're going into a slightly higher price mm. point or how mm. much you charge consumers mm. because you've had to, as a brand, shell out so yeah. much more for it. Mm. In terms of packaging... You know, so we sell all of our our herbs in glass jars, um, so that you can either reuse them or mm. you can recycle them. Mm. But it's impossible to get them in bigger, you know, mm. bigger and bigger mm. quantities, mm. Um, like sizes, if you're going to be needing them at the small order quantities that we place. So then that becomes really hard when you're trying to launch new products mm. where you need to be able to hold a larger volume of. Mm. of of product within it you're like what What are my options so and then even things like single serve sachets mm. people want things like single serve sachets but then recycling them is impossible mm. so we're going to be launching single serve sachets soon and we have a, we're going to have a recycling program where people can send them back to us and mm. we've had to pay for a specific box mm. where we collect everything mm. and then we send it off to be recycled because it's impossible because in an ideal situation, I would have these boxes maybe like parked in a few mm-hmm. offices that I could partner mm-hmm. with around London. Mm-hmm. But the actual program doesn't mm-hmm. partner with brands as small as us. Mm-hmm. So it's just all of these different. There are yes. so many hurdles yes. to, to cross. And it's mm-hmm. one of those things where you wish that, you know, the programs and mm-hmm. the, the production facilities just would just make it easier mm-hmm. because people are demanding it. And as small businesses, we want to be able to keep up with the consumer demand. And just from a personal perspective as well, like I don't want to be putting plastic in the ocean mm-hmm. at all. That's something that I really don't want to be doing Mm. so I hope that in the next sort of like three to four years we really see a shift in how accessible sustainability options are to smaller businesses I think that I mean these are the conversations I've had with so many brands that being sustainable is expensive and I, I, I think that that needs to be addressed I feel like the conversations around that aren't being had enough or they're not being heard but I understand exactly what you're saying because this is exactly what brands are talking about you know it all trickles down if you want to be sustainable and you want to have 
X, Y, Z instead of this. Or you want to have these biodegradable cups, for instance, Mm -hmm. rather than the normal cups you have, then you pay twice as much. And it, it shouldn't be that case. I think there's still a lot of people who are still making, they're profiting wrongly, you know, from smaller brands trying to do the right thing. And I think those those issues do need to be addressed because I, I have come across quite a few companies who are trying really hard to be sustainable. But when it comes down to it, sometimes they're not sustainable because they can't afford, can't afford to be, it, yeah. which is ridiculous. If you had, uh, you were being sent to a desert island, you could take one beauty product with you, what would it be? Sunscreen. <laughs> practical and that's why you're brilliant at what you do yeah I was going to say sunscreen but if I didn't have to have just one sorry I always do this because I have this question all the time I will take my Paula's Choice liquid exfoliator oh I've never tried it's it it's insane it's incredible I panic when I start to run out of it what if I what if you already have sunscreen Sasha what would you take <laughs> do you know what I'm I really love is um glossiers balm.com mm. like I love that the rose one it's like one of the only things that keeps my lips from getting chapped I get really dry lips especially mm. in the winter in England so I would take that okay Oh my goodness. Uh, let's go to Global, have an infrared sauna yes, and absolutely. have an ashwagandha <laughs> shake. Sasha and Fumi, you're two such impressive women. Thank you so, so much for coming on Thank Shaping you. the Future Thanks by Regent Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shaping the Future by Regent Street. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do take a minute to rate, review and subscribe. It really does help other people to find the show. Follow more Regent Street happenings at Regent Street W1 on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Otherwise, head over to regentstreetonline.com for more detailed information. This has been Shaping the Future by Regent Street with me, your host, Elizabeth Day.